0: Good morning. Welcome here to everyone. Thanks to all the visitors that came and uh, appreciate all the prayers all the texts I received this week. People were praying for me and much appreciated. just thank the lord for for a good church family. Uh, I would repeat what Mr. Belgrave mentioned last week on feeling. Pastor Mike's pulpit, it seems a heavy responsibility. But I'm thankful for the opportunity, and I'm thankful that uh, the Lord has not allowed me to take it lightly. Uh, it is a, a weighty task, but my prayer has been that I can do it with joy, and that I not, not be anxious, but, but that I really do cast this burden on the Lord. And again, last weekend was a good reminder uh, the message we heard from Mr. Belgrave on anxiety and and how anxiety is truly a focus on self and not on the Lord. And that it just helped me a lot. I was reminded of that during the week many times. And so I counted a privilege to be here today. And uh, I chose a text this morning that I... I was asked to do a commentary in Bible school, and the text I chose was, was Ephesians three fourteen to nineteen. Uh, for me, I'm thankful for expository preaching because I didn't need to as much find a topic to preach on as just find a passage and take time and study that passage. And uh, yeah, it was a a busy summer for me where we you're building a house and then a lot of evenings spent just going through the Word. But I just, my prayer is that it will be an encouragement and a blessing to each one of us today. <clears throat> I believe the passage this morning should exhort us and encourage us, and hopefully challenge us in regards to how we as believers pray for one another. We could ask ourselves as a church, what is our goal for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, what do we long to see in their lives? What? How can we pray according to that goal? And what are we praying for our brothers and sisters? What is it that we would desire to see in them? And what needs to happen to make this possible? In the passage that we see, we, in the passage that we'll go through this morning, we see what Paul's goal was for the church in Ephesus and in Asia Minor. And, and he aims high in his prayer. Uh, the passage is not filled with imperatives and commands. It is a prayer that Paul has for his fellow believers And in it we see the heart of the Apostle Paul. We see the love that Paul has for his readers and his desire that they come to an understanding and a recognition of the love that Christ has for them. Uh, We'll read the passage in a bit, but before we get into the text, we'll just take a short look at the background of the church in Ephesus so that we can better understand the context of the passage that we'll go through. If you would turn to Acts chapter 19, we see the background of the start of the church in Ephesus. Paul first brought the gospel to the Ephesians in Acts 19, which would have been about seven years before he writes this epistle. Ephesus had a synagogue where Paul preached every day for three months. However, many of the Jews reject the gospel message. And so Paul goes on to preach and teach in the hall of Tyrannus. He taught there for two years, and we see that the Lord... We see that through his ministry, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We see that in Acts 19.10. So he had a big ministry in Ephesus, and he, the Lord used the apostle Paul in a big way there. It was there where through the preaching of Paul, the whole city came to be in an uproar. The gospel was gaining much ground, and the people were beginning to burn all their pagan books. And the automakers in the city were beginning to lose all their business. We see that in nineteen to twenty six chapter 19, verse 19 to 27. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of Jews and Gentiles were being converted. And if we look at the New Testament, we see that Jews and Gentiles were always known to be at enmity with each other. The Jews would call them the dogs and the Gentiles had no use for the religion of the Jewish people. We see it in this same chapter in Acts 19 when they realized that Alexander who speaks in the... uh, Arena there after Paul, uh, we see that they chant praise to their goddess Artemis and they will not let him speak. Knowing this, we then come to the main point of the book of of Ephesians. Paul is not rebuking the Ephesians, but he is lovingly showing them that the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has collapsed for those that are in Christ. And God is being glorified daily as both Jew and Gentile realize that they are part of the same body and they learn to live together in the church, and in doing so, they bring glory to God. Although the epistle of the Ephesians is called his letter to the Ephesians, it seems it could well be, and probably was, a letter that was, Paul's intent was for it to be read in Ephesus first, and then cycled through the churches in Asia Minor. And we see that all those churches in Asia Minor were made up of Jews and Gentiles together. So that is the biggest point of the book of Ephesians is that the Jews and the Gentiles learn to live together as a body in Christ and to glorify God. It's just a background, I guess, on the book before we get into the text. We see that the church in Asia and definitely in Ephesus was made up of many Jews and Gentiles. It had been around seven years from when Paul preached there till he comes to be in prison. We see that Paul is not addressing any particular issue in the church like he does in uh, Corinthians. He There's much rebuke in Corinthians for how they are living, in Galatians is a very harsh rebuke for self-righteousness and trying to earn justification by the law. But Paul's purpose seems to be simply to strengthen them as a church and help them to understand the riches that are theirs in Christ. But he then goes on to show them that they are one in Christ and that as a Jew and Gentile, they are no longer divided. Jesus Christ is their peace. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1. In the final chapter of Ephesians, Paul tells them that his purpose is to encourage their hearts. There is no rebuke, only loving exhortation and encouragement from Paul to his readers. He has heard from others of their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints, and so he praises God for them, and then he prays for them. And we see that in Acts chap, or in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you. So Paul is confident that they are believers, that they're walking in the truth. But he encourages them. He writes to them, encourages them to live together as Jew and Gentile in the church. And it is an interesting thing to picture. Paul is in prison. When he writes this epistle, there is a debate if he is in actual prison in Rome or if he's under the house arrest that we see at the end of the book of Acts. But either way, we see what was on Paul's mind as he was in prison. We see that he is not thinking of himself. He is thinking of his brothers and sisters whom he has had the privilege of evangelizing, teaching, discipling and working alongside and so in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays for them, and he, he prays for them twice. In the first chapter of Ephesians, he, he starts the same way. He says, for this reason, he goes back to the gospel and the power and the work that has happened in them. But the main request in that prayer is slightly different than in his second prayer. In his first prayer, he asked the Lord to give them a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He asked the Lord to show the Ephesians more of Christ's love. But in the second prayer, he asked God that they be strengthened with power by the Spirit in the inner man. And that is the prayer, the passage that we will be going through this morning. The second prayer of Paul's. And we see that prayer in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. I'll read the passage and then we'll... We'll go through the passage, and hopefully we can be encouraged through it this morning. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length in height, in depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It is interesting to see where this prayer lands in this epistle. The book of Ephesians is known for having two sections. The first section is doctrinal. It shows us the great salvation plan and the purposes of God and saving His people. And the second part of Ephesians is more practical and tells us more how we are to live as a church. Uh, And I think in that we see it is important to have the truth of the gospel before us as we try to live out the Christian life in a practical way. But this passage is located right between these two sections. It is as though Paul is saying, In order for you to comprehend these riches in Christ that I have told you of, and to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, you will need a strength that is not your own. You need the power of God to know these things, to comprehend these things. And so that is what Paul prays for. I've broken up this prayer into three different sections. As I was studying it, I found it answers three different questions on praying for one another in the church. So the first point or the first section will be, how are we to come to the Father? Verses 14 to 15. And the second point, how can we pray for one another? Verse 16. And then the third point would be, for what purpose do we pray this for one another? Or why should we pray this for one another? And the three, just, I know Pastor Mike likes alliteration. I went to reverence, request, and result. Just uh, maybe that'll help it stay in our minds. And, but uh, so when we look at the first point, how are we to come to the Father? We look at how Paul came. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And usually when we hear, for this reason, we would just go to the previous passage and, and say, okay, that, Paul, that's, what, that's why you're praying this prayer. But it's interesting, Paul starts chapter 3, he starts the first in the first verse we see, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there seems to be a parenthesis, or a maybe not a rabbit trail, but he goes in verses 2 to 13, or then Paul explains to the, the Gentiles why, he is an apostle, how God has used his suffering and all his struggles that he has gone through, and how God has used that in his purposes for his glory. And so we see that chapter start with this, for this reason, but then in three verse fourteen, Paul says, he again picks up and says, For this reason. And I believe, and from my studies, we, we could read three one and, and then continue in three fourteen, and it would sound that and so we see that the reason that Paul is praying is because of the previous two chapters and then when we look at what is in the first two chapters we see the gospel and we see the the power of God and how he redeems people and how he brings Jews and Gentiles together for his glory he has laid out for them just deep and beautiful doctrines of their salvation and so he tells them why he is praying for them it is because they have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world they have been made alive together with Christ They've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. They've been saved by grace through faith, which we see in Ephesians 2. And they are now being built up together in Christ as his body, both Jew and Gentile, to show forth the glory of God in the church. And so we see that Paul comes to the Father remembering. He looks at his own salvation. He looks at the salvation of the people that he has worked with and served with. And and he says, for this reason, because of the... Marvelous work that the Lord has done in your life and in my life, I bow my knees. And so as he writes all these truths, he has all these doctrinal truths drive him to his knees. Psalm 77:11 says, "I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds." And so how are we to come to the Father, which was my first point. I believe that we, like Paul, should come remembering. And Paul, of all people, knew the power of God to save and to change a man. I think if anyone knew it, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He had enmity with the church, just on his way to destroy and to kill and to, to murder the followers of Christ. And then he had his own Damascus experience in the Lord, powerfully worked a work of salvation in his life. And yet as believers, each of us have had their own experience, our own Damascus experience. It looks different for each one of us. I know in this church to hear testimonies and the work of God, it's, it's, it's an amazing and powerful thing to hear testimonies, but they're often different. Some of us have gone through uh, an overnight radical, dramatic change, and for some of us it's more of a Uh, we look back on our life and we see the work that the Lord has done. And either way, the glory goes to Him. And I believe that we as believers should often go back and remember these works that the Lord has done in transforming us from darkness to light, and we should let it also drive us to our knees. So for this reason, Paul bows his knees to the Father. We see He came remembering, and now He comes with reverence. Father, it is the same word here that we see in Matthew 6 when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. When I see what Paul is praying, I see that a prayer like this truly is within the will of God. And Paul is praying expectantly. What do I mean by that? Look at Luke 11, Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that is what Paul's prayer is. He's praying that they be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner being. And I think that main idea, that main point should lie before us as we go through this passage is that Paul's praying that the believers in Ephesus and in Asia would comprehend this amazing love, this, this, uh, the power of God in their lives, that they would know more of it. As this prayer goes on, we will see that Paul is doing that. He bows his knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named verses 14 to 15. When we th- now we know that God is both the creator and sustainer of all things and for us as believers we call him our father. We I think of Romans 8 it says the spirit uh by the spirit wh- by whom we cry out abba father uh he is king nothing can thwart his will yet when we look through the new testament we see that God is not the father of everyone. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8:44 that they were still of their father the devil. In Ephesians 2, we see that we are children of wrath before conversion. Just like the rest of mankind. What Paul is saying here is that he is a child of the Father, bows his knees to the Father of all those who, like him, are children of God. He then makes him a bro- This then makes him a brother of the ones he's writing to. God is the Father of all believers, both the ones on earth and the ones that are already worshipping him in heaven. In Ephesians 2.18, Paul writes that through Christ, by the Spirit, we have access to the Father. And Before we get to the second point, which is Paul's request to God for the Ephesians, be good to think of how do we come to the Father? Are we simply taking for granted that He hears us? And not thinking about why our great, mighty, and awesome God would stoop to listen to us. But He does. And it is not because we ourselves are... In and of ourselves, have something to offer Him. But because He is our Father and because of our faith in His beloved Son, He treats us and loves us like His own children. That is why we pray. That is why we pray and we come to Him on behalf of His beloved Son. We do not come to a cold and harsh Father who is bothered by us. We come to Him who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and has raised us up from the pit of sin that we were in and has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. See, He has already done more for us than we could ever imagine. That is why we come remembering, and we come with reverence. That brings us to our next point, how can we pray for one another, which is the request. (laughs) Let us examine what Paul is asking the Father to do, and see if we as a church can learn from it. And this is even where I think we could examine what we pray for one another. Uh, most of the prayers often, I think, prayed by even by believers for other believers, pale in comparison to this prayer that Paul is praying. He has already asked in his first prayer that they might know more of the love and of the hope of Christ in their life. But now he asked that they be strengthened with a power that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And that they be strengthened in the inner man or in the inner being. This request is the main idea or the main thrust of the entire prayer of Paul's. We will see that all the other verses in this passage hinge off of this one request. We see that when this strengthening occur, occurs, when the Spirit does strengthen us in this way, that Christ then takes up dwelling or an abode, or we could say He dwells comfortably in the heart of a believer. And Paul asks that God would grant this strengthening according to the riches of his glory. He does not say out of his riches, he says according to his riches. I think of the poor widow in Luke 21 who gave according to what she had and it was only a few pennies. Think of the difference between a millionaire who gives out of his riches or according to his riches. If he gives you a few hundred dollars, he gives out of his riches. If he gives you a few hundred thousand, he gives more according to his riches. But when we think of God, our great and infinite God, who made all things and upholds all things, He is willing and able, Paul says, to give according to His riches. Let us remember that when we pray. Paul is trusting the Lord to do it. Think of Romans chapter 16, when he says, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul is praying with confidence. And so should we. I believe there are many prayers prayed that do not line up with the will of God. But when I think of a prayer like this, that, that the Lord strengthen those that are weak to know, to know the love of Christ, I believe that is a prayer that lines up perfectly with the will of God. The power Paul prays for is not our own. The word for power that he uses in this text is... I might not pronounce this right. Dunamis. Dunamis. And the root word for the. It is the root word for the English word dynamite. It is not an uncontrolled power, but is more of a controlled power, maybe less like dynamite and more like an electrical surge or a. I remember uh, in South Carolina at school, this might be a strange illustration, but I thought it kind of fit in a way, but. I would run around that little loop, and I don't know, it was about a mile. And every now and then I'd see these squirrels. They were running around the power line right beside me. And often I would think these squirrels have no idea the power that is right under them. And if they did find out, they'd, uh, they'd be changed quite quickly. And it uh, might not be the best illustration, but I believe that if we as believers will be strengthened with power by the Spirit, In the inner man, to know the love of Christ, we too will be amazed. Uh, And remember, the Lord said, ask anything in my name and you will receive it. Yet we are to ask according to his will. And again, I would say, I believe a prayer like this, that God strengthen us as believers to know more of Christ's love is within the will of God. I think sometimes we are afraid to expect, actually expect the Lord or to to expect results maybe, maybe because uh, some of the false gospels have redefined what true power in the Christian life looks like. Uh, I, I truly believe, I can, I can promise you, brothers and sisters, that it would be a, a much more beautiful thing to see our church strengthened with power in the Spirit, in the inner being, than if we would all be perfectly healthy, cured of all diseases, have no spiritual warfare and just be in perfect condition physically. I do not believe that we as a church are necessarily to pray for that. Not in, not in that way, but we, we see that is not Paul's aim. We know from his other letters that he expects believers to suffer. But it is an amazing thing when one who is strengthened to love Christ, then lives it, then suffers well, and in all of it, he is a much better witness for Christ then, if every other superficial prayer would be answered, Paul is aiming high in this prayer and he is confident that the Lord will do it. We go on to see the source of this power and the sphere or location of where this power will be applied. That is in uh, verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. That is the source. In the inner being and there we see the location of where the strengthening occurs it is a power that strengthens us to know something or to know this in the inner man or we could say the heart that deepest place within us that affects our emotions and our wills the third point here is the would be the question for what purpose or for what result do we pray this for one another what What will happen if this prayer is answered? Maybe we could ask ourselves. So Paul goes from his main request to the purpose of his request. He says, So that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Just by a quick reading of this verse, it may sound as though if we are strengthened with power, then and only then will Christ dwell in our hearts. But that does not seem to be the case here. There is a purpose clause here, yes, which shows us that the purpose for which we are strengthened is that Christ would dwell in our hearts, but the purpose is that Christ would dwell in the heart through faith. In Romans 8, we read that any man that does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Jesus Christ. Paul knows, and we see that in Ephesians 1, he he trusts and he believes that his readers are believers, that they are walking in the truth, that they are living and growing in the faith. And he is saying that when he is asking that they themselves have a better grasp of what has actually happened. Paul is saying that when they are strengthened in this way, Christ will dwell in them through faith. The word dwell here is, is to take up an abode or to live comfortably. It is the same word that Jesus uses in John 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. I'm not a Greek scholar, but sometimes I find it interesting when I look at some of the Greek words. The word here for dwell is, there's two different words in the Greek that are used. The one word is, again, I'll try to pronounce it, but one is parochio and one is katoikio. Sounds sounds right. Uh, and it's interesting because the first one means to dwell in the land as a stranger. It was more like like Abraham when he went to a land that was not his own in Genesis chapter 12. But that is not the word that Paul uses. He uses ketokyo, which means to dwell in a place permanently or to take up residence there. It is the same word used in Colossians when we read that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ. See, Jesus does not dwell comfortably in us when there is sin, does he? We see that he left many towns during his earthly ministry because there was unbelief in the people. But where there is obedience and a comprehension of his love, there he dwells in comfort. And I think we as believers can attest to that with the Spirit of God dwelling in us when we are confronted with sin or we fall into sin. We, uh, we cringe. We are, I mean, we are as believers, we are disciplined. It is not a pleasant thing. And I think of... Uh, That is us with the sinful flesh still clinging to us. But imagine the sinless Son of God or the perfect Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Should it not then make sense that He only dwells comfortably or truly takes up residence in the heart when there is obedience and a true reverence for Him? I think it is summed up well in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 32, when Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. See, we can, we can grieve the Spirit of God when we, when we sin or when we are not walking in obedience. We go on to another purpose. And, and remember that that main request that Paul prays, that we be strengthened with power through his Spirit. The rest of this passage seems to be a bunch of different purposes that will then happen if that prayer is answered. So Paul prays, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of god (laughs) paul is not praying that they will be rooted and grounded in love but he is moving on to his purpose he says because you are already rooted and grounded in love when you are strengthened with this power through his spirit you will have strength to comprehend the love of Christ. When we look at one fifteen, Ephesians one chap Ephesians one verse fifteen. Just before his first prayer, he says he has heard of their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. Again, Paul is confident that his readers are believers, but he wants them to see more of it or to know more of it. There seems to be a difference even between being rooted and grounded in the faith and also being able to truly comprehend or to grasp the love of Christ. In Ephesus, it seems now that, and we see that and we saw that in Acts 19, the all the believers were burning their books and there was true fruit from all the conversions that were taking place. They're not living like the ones in Corinth still in their immorality, it seems. There's a genuine desire for the gospel. And yet, Paul knows it can be better because the power of the living Christ can be made more and more manifest in the Christian's life by the Holy Spirit. The reason that Paul is praying is that they will be strengthened to comprehend this love. Again, we see, we see that in, uh, in our passage. And it is not something we can do on our own. The Greek word for comprehend here is again an interesting one. is kata lambano, and it means to overtake. To lay hold of, to seize, to be so overtaken with the reality that it consumes you or even possesses you. It's the same word that is used in Mark 9.18 when the demon-possessed boy was attacked and thrown to the ground. The same word is used here. So this word can be used for good. can be used for, for that. It's not good, but we see there is a difference then between actually knowing something and truly, like maybe knowing something in the head and not knowing it in the heart. We are often told that Christ loves us, but we have all, as believers, there are times that that reality has has truly taken hold of us, and we, and we pour out praise to God for the work that He has done for us. I think of uh, tragedies sometimes. Sometimes we're told that a loved one has passed away, or a, a horrific wreck, or something has happened, and we we know it, but sometimes they get. We're numb to it until all of a sudden it hits us, and and then we have truly attained or comprehended or, or laid hold of it. That would be the word used here. We have come to a realization of what this actually means, and it affects our emotions. And then we are able, truly able, to grieve. Or another, was, I don't know if it would be like this in in everyone's life, but I, I I know growing up or even now, sometimes thinking of the reality of of hell and the The fact that many will perish and burn there forever. That those outside of Christ will not inherit eternal life. And then I think of the reality and the, the eternality of, of an eternal hell. And it, you hear it all the time. You, we hear it in in sermons and whatnot. And then suddenly sometimes it just, it just hits me. And then I'm, I'm truly astonished at, at the fact of, of that and and then I would go back to this passage it, it is an overtaking and a, a comprehending a a grasping of this truth and it cha- and it changes me right then it, it it's a, it's a terrifying thing we can be thankful there's refuge in the cross but yeah it is an attaining a grasping a laying hold of the love of Christ that will truly change us but are we laying hold of it we need to ask ourselves this are our brothers and sisters able to comprehend with all the Saints what is the breadth the length the height and the depth of the love of Christ as a church I don't think we need to look very far to find a brother or a sister that is struggling and we need to ask ourselves what do we pray for them do we just pray that their burden go away that it just everything be fine and I think from the message we heard last weekend even we I don't think necessarily that is what we pray. We pray that they be strengthened. That they cast their burden on the Lord and He will sustain them. Again, just a reminder. When the fight is real for those that are seeking Christ, yet they cannot find Him, as it seems as though He is hidden from them. When they are being tossed and turned and assaulted from the world, the flesh and the devil... What if they are facing that evil day that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 6? What do we pray for them? In this passage, I I think just is a good passage to look at. I say we pray with the Apostle Paul that the Lord would strengthen them with power through His Spirit in the inner being that they may know the love of the Beloved Son in whom they are accepted and blessed with every spiritual blessing. My professor at school would sometimes say there is not a greater thing that God can do for the believer than what he has already done. And so I pray that we as a church can overtake, that we can comprehend and grasp and attain and this amazing reality that while we were yet sinners, Christ bled and died for us. So Paul goes on in the next verse, that you are able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the height and breadth and length and width and depth of the love of Christ? And I think uh, we could put a warning here and note, Paul is not praying here for those outside of Christ. He is saying that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints this amazing love. And as we look through the New Testament, we see Paul's writings. We do not see Paul pray specifically for unbelievers, but Paul always prays in Colossians 4.3, we see he prays that he be given an open door to bring the gospel to those that do not know Christ. And I think that is a good uh, model for us, for those that we know that we can pray, Lord, save them. And, and, And it's a good prayer to pray, but what needs to happen for these people to come to a knowledge of Christ as Lord? Give us boldness. Give us strength to go to them and to tell them what Christ has done for them. The one that rejects Christ in this Great salvation plan that we see in the first three chapters of Ephesians. On his own does not much care to know these things either. He has his mind set on the world before him. He could care less if he is strengthened with this power. And if that is you today, I would warn you, exhort you to be reconciled to God by trusting in the finished work of Christ on that cross. The love of Christ is offered fully and freely to all who will come. But what about the believer? Do we not as brothers and sisters in the Lord often want to know more or to comprehend more or to love Jesus more? I think of, uh, was it a, something I heard often, we do not thirst, I know we do not thirst for God, but we thirst to be thirsting, maybe that kind of mentality. What do, what do we pray for them? And I think it is that they comprehend, that they be strengthened with power to comprehend this love. As Paul's prayer starts winding down, here we see in the next two verses, he Paul gets kind of carried away with two, two statements that seem strange at the first reading. Note also that this whole passage is one sentence from verse 14 all the way down to verse 19. We see Paul does that often. I think almost the whole of chapter 1 is one sentence. But... Uh, he goes on stating that when the believer is strengthened in this manner he will comprehend what is then what is the breadth, length, height, depth but he never really says of what because he continues to say that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge which is quite literally saying that they will know that which cannot be known. When it comes to these different dimensions which we see in verse 18 there are many different views it has been explained to mean perhaps the new temple or the forearms of the cross showing forth the love of Christ in every direction. I found all kinds of different meanings there, but uh, I think as we read Paul's writings, we see that he often gets carried away in worship in the middle of his epistles, in the middle of his letters, and he breaks forth in praise, and I think from my study and what I see here, that is what he is doing here. One example would be in the end of Romans 11, as he wraps up his section on the mystery of the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles, In verse 33, he breaks forth, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul is simply stating here the vastness, it seems, of both God's power to work this and the believer in the great love of Jesus Christ. (laughs) The second statement that seems off at the first reading here would be that they know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He is literally praying that his readers would know that which cannot be known. One commentator said that when Paul speaks of the love of Christ, the fire in his heart nearly always bursts into flame. What Paul is praying, what Paul is saying is through this, though this love surpasses all knowledge, it is still attainable or possible for the child of God God because the Spirit can miraculously strengthen him to know this love. And how is that? Through prayer. Through prayer and we can pray this for one another. It is not that God loves us more when we comprehend Him more. In First Corinthians 3.12, we see that we still see dimly compared to that day when we see Jesus face to face. First John 3.2 tells us that one day we will see Him just as He is. Yet it is not that He will love us more on that day than He does today because we will not be any more accepted on that day than we are today. It is through the finished work of Christ that we come and that we stand. That is our only plea. But yes, I would say we will have a much better comprehension or a much better overtaking or attaining of His love when we are fully glorified and we stand before Him in heaven one day. Perhaps then we will finally fully comprehend these glorious truths that we now only see a glimpse of. It is amazing that Jesus Christ loves us as much today as he will, then. the Father accepts us today in the same way. And it is not because we are something in ourselves, but because we are accepted in Christ. His righteousness is ours through faith, and the Father loves us because we are washed in the blood of his only Son. This is the reality that we need as Christians to comprehend to live the Christian life. We go on to the final purpose of the the passage. Paul says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think this verse could be wrongly understood and applied if one believed. I think there are actually many Gospels that teach that we are little gods here on earth or that we are God Himself. And, and I think, uh, well, as Matthew Henry said, it is a high expression that we should not dare use if we did not find it in the Scriptures. We see Paul use this same word in Colossians when writing of the fullness of God dwelling in Christ. But the verse that we'll look at to help us understand here is uh, Ephesians one twenty three. Paul says, "...he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church." which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So we see from Scripture we can confidently and comfortably say that the body of Jesus Christ, which is us, the church, is filled with the fullness of God. But we also see that there is a difference in knowing that objectively, maybe knowing that in our, in our mind and knowing that in our heart, to be strengthened by the Spirit to comprehend it. Subjectivity or feelings by themselves can be a dangerous thing, but when we are strengthened by God, by the power of God, to see the beauty of Christ, it should drive us to worship. And Paul is praying that the Ephesians will realize who they already are and to become what they already are. And there's an Old Testament picture here as well, and Paul mentioned it in, two, twen- in chapter two, Ephesians 2, to 22 when Paul speaks of the Jews and the Gentiles being built up together as a temple, and we see in the Old Testament when things, when the temple was built according to God's will, when the uh, tabernacle was built according to God's will, we, I guess we could say when Moses was obedient or Solom, Solomon was obedient, we see that the glory of God came down and filled that place. I think when we as a church too, when we comprehend, when we are strengthened, when we live in obedience, when we love Christ, The fullness of God will dwell in our church and in that I mean we as a church will be strengthened to comprehend the love of Christ. Now we, brothers and sisters, are being built together as a temple by the power of God and I can assure you that when we are filled with His fullness in the way that Paul is praying in this passage, it will change us. It will help us to know the unknowable love of Jesus Christ. Probably more than ever, or I don't know if more than ever, but I believe now in these times, the world needs to see a church that loves Christ, that loves Jesus, and then to see that love overflowing to one another here in the church, and then from there on to the lost that are so much in need of it. As we comprehend these truths, we will be better able to live out practically the Christian life as laid out before us in the last three chapters of Ephesians. What would my encouragement be to us here today? Just to pray more, I don't think so, not so much that. I'm confident that as we grow in our, as we grow as a church, we grow in our love for one another. Our brothers and sisters learn more of our struggles and we learn more of theirs. May God strengthen us with his power to know his love may we have such a love for one another as Paul did for his readers. And as we enter the fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, may we pray for one another that we be truly strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. Let's close with prayer. Father, I just thank You, praise You for this morning, for this opportunity. pray that Your Word would have gone forth and have done a thing that I cannot do on, on my own, Lord, and I... Pray that it can be an encouragement to your people. Pray that you would strengthen us with power through your spirit and in the inner man to know all the love that Christ has for us, Lord. I thank you for your Son. Lived a perfect life, died on our behalf, that we can be and are fully reconciled to you through his death. So we praise you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.